0: Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, trees, only they are walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. He looked with, he looked with his eyes wide open, and his sight was restored, and he could see everything clearly. Of God, for you, the people of God. I got a little tickle in my throat, so bear with me this morning. Um, and uh, I think we're going to get through this together. We're going to get through this all together, everybody. The scripture this morning is a strange one. Jesus, uh, some people have a blind guy, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, come and heal this blind guy. And so Jesus does it, spits in his eye, his kind of normal way of healing blind people, and, and uh, rubs his eyes, and he says, open them, take a look, what do you see? And um he says, I see people, but they look like trees that are walking around. And Jesus goes, Oh, didn't do it right, <laughs> you know? And so Jesus works on him a little bit more and is like, how's that? And he goes, better, better. Almost like Jesus is like the optometrist where he's like, one, two, one, two. Is this better or is this worse, right? What is going on in this miracle that Jesus couldn't get it right the first time? What a strange, strange story. Nowhere in the story does Jesus stop and say, oh, you didn't pray the right words. You didn't do the right thing to get exactly what you want, right? Try again. Nowhere does he say, oh, blind man. It's because you don't have enough faith. Until you have more faith, you only get walking trees. You don't get people, right? It's a strange thing. We don't have any sort of explanation, but there was something, something, Preventing Jesus from getting the miracle all the way the first time i don 't know what it is i don 't know what it is. Something was preventing Jesus to get from getting the miracle the first time all the way. I was asked a few years ago to um, to share and preach about miracles at another church, and so I planned on preaching about how miracles aren't necessarily tied to how much faith you have. I think a lot of people get this impression that if we don't get our prayers answered, it's because I didn't have enough faith. We get that impression because often when Jesus heals somebody, Jesus doesn't take the credit for it. Jesus instead says to the other person, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. There's a lot of different reasons why Jesus would say that, but I think sometimes we take that to mean, okay, I have to have enough faith, and then I can get whatever prayer I want answered. And more often than not, that doesn't happen. And people beat themselves up over not having enough faith, not believing hard enough, And um, and so I wanted to preach and share that that's not the case that there are other things that are preventing miracles from happening. So I go to that church and they had their band was about to do a special song right before I got up to preach. And the band, I mean, they pulled out all all the stops for this song. They sang a song that was by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, and they had these two women powerhouse singers share this song, and the song was Miracles Do Happen When You Believe, and, and so they're singing Miracles Do Happen When You Believe, and I'm sweating bullets because I'm about to get up there and preach. No, they don't, and I look out into the congregation. People are weeping and loving it so much, and then they get up after the song is done. They gave them a standing ovation, and it was fantastic. Miracles do happen when you believe, um, and then I, I'm just closing my eyes, laughing. I'm like, God, you did this, didn't you? You did this to me, because <laughs> now I got to get up there and tell them, nope, not really. Um, actually, I don't believe God did that to me. I don't believe God chose the songs for that day. I think that God does not work that way. We've been talking about this in the sermon series. We call it God Can't, um, because there are some things that God can't do. The chief thing is that God can't act against God's own nature. God can't do it. Otherwise, God wouldn't be God anymore. So God can't do that. And what scripture reveals about God's nature is a little bit different than what Greek philosophy or or some other ideas about God reveal about God's nature. At the core of scripture, we find that God is love. This is who God is. This is God's nature. And, necessarily, there are things that love cannot do, things that love will not do. The main thing, and this is why I don't think God chose that song that morning, is God will not, cannot impose His will on others. Love does not control. Love is not coercive, right? Uh, it says it plainly in First Corinthians 13, what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. We usually hear these words uh, at a wedding. Love is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Love is not vengeful. And then it says this, love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. God does not insist on God's own way. And for us and for me, this is an answer to why there is suffering in this world. This is an answer to why there is pain, why God doesn't get what God wants, because God is love. God can't impose God's will on others. It's not who God is. To do so would mean he's not who he is. But a lot of our Greek philosophy, a lot of our ideas about God, come from this notion that God is purely willpower, that God is the thing that gets what God wants all the time. It's not true. It's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, a God like that, that always gets what God wants all the time, wouldn't be frustrated at all, because whatever is happening is God's will. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who is continually frustrated because things are not going the way God wants them to go, right? It goes back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God makes Adam and Eve says, hey, do whatever you want. Just don't do this one thing. Just don't do this one thing. Don't eat this apple. What do Adam and Eve do? They do it. They eat that apple. The one thing. God comes back and says, Hey, where are you guys at? He can't find them. I love that image that God comes looking for them in the garden. Finally, Adam and Eve have to present themselves and said, Hey God, you know that one thing you didn't want us to do? We did it. We did it. We're sorry. And God is disappointed. God is frustrated. Why should, we, why should God be frustrated if he can do all things and get exactly what he wants done all the time? He can't because God is love. And so God is frustrated with them. But God doesn't give up on them either. God says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not done. I'm not going to wipe the slate clean. Come here you guys are embarrassed, you're ashamed, you don't want to be naked anymore. Okay, these, li- these fig leaf things, they're not working out for you. And God gives them clothes. The first act that God does after they've committed this big sin is an act of graciousness, and God gives them clothes. And clothes is a sign that God has never done working with us. Even if we fail, even if we do our own thing, and go our own way, God doesn't stop working with us. This is who our God is, a God who is with us no matter what. This is what's exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you've, it's as if Jesus is saying, for all your thoughts about God, whatever you think God is, this is who God is at the core a God who is with us in our suffering, in our struggles, in everything that we go through. Jesus comes in and he does the strangest things. He comes and hangs out with people who are suffering. He weeps with people who are suffering. A woman who is on her way to a funeral for her son. Jesus sees her and he stops. And this is in Luke chapter 8. And it says that he was moved with compassion for her. But that's a, that's a really terrible uh, English translation. We don't have any other, we don't have a better way of saying it. The Greek word is, ek, it's a which is a really great, mm, feels good. What it literally means is uh, your intestines are turned over inside of you. That's why it's so gross sounding. Esplachthnia. It says, when Jesus saw the woman weeping over her son, he esplachthniaed his guts were wrenched for her. He felt her pain. He felt her pain. When Mary and Martha are mourning the loss of their brother, Jesus goes and he weeps with them. This is who our God is, and people are, why would he weep for them? Why is this? Can't Jesus do whatever he wants? No. Jesus is first and foremost somebody who is with us in everything that we do. Now, Jesus does get to work. He does call out to friends, where is Lazarus? He does call out to other people, move the stone. He calls out to other people, take off the grave clothes. So Jesus does do things. God does work in our world. And we have to ask that question, okay, then what does that look like? What does it look like when God performs a miracle, when God does a miraculous healing? How does that fit into this picture of God who is fully loved, who does not um, control things, a God who does not exert his will on other things? How do miracles happen? That's what we're going to kind of tackle this morning. This morning, as we talk about miracles, I'm not going to talk about um, kind of like how, you know, moments where physics is broken or something like that or some strange supernatural thing like that. I want to focus a little bit more on something that's maybe closer to us. I want to focus in on miraculous healings, those moments when people are healed in ways that are surprising, impossible, improbable, and unexplainable. So, I don't know about you, but for many of us, I'm included in this, I've experienced these moments, and for many of us, these moments might be the reason why we believe in God at all. And so I'm not trying to pull that away from anyone, but we do have to explain a little bit. We have to explain a little bit about how God works in this world, where these miracles come from, and um, how do they happen? How do they happen? The idea of miracles has one very big problem right from the get-go. The problem with miracles is that they are rare. They're rare. How do we explain for how rare miracles are? People pray for some divine turnaround and healing. People pray for something big to happen. And sometimes they happen. Sometimes you get your miracle. Sometimes I get my miracle. But we have to remember that for every time that the odds are beaten or something improbable, impossible happens in an incredible way, more often than not, it didn't happen for other people. It didn't happen for other people. So how do we explain that why miracles are so rare? One possible solution is that they're not real, is that divine healing isn't real. That when those one in a million odds happens, when something incredible or spectacular happens, it didn't, it's not really real. It's not Uh, some God doing something incredible. It's not something divine. It's not impossible or improbable. It's that we just don't have enough education. We haven't figured it out. And the more we study, the more we'll be able to make those kinds of things happen. So some people say, when you experience a miracle, you didn't really experience a miracle. Nothing like fantastic really happened. Um, We just don't understand everything yet, so settle down a little bit. Well, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me for a couple of reasons. I think that it can explain a lot of beautiful things that have happened. There's a lot of incredible healing that can happen um, when people follow their regimens, when um, when the body heals like it's supposed to, or when when we expect or as we expect it to heal. Those are beautiful things. Those are beautiful things. But there are these moments where. A healing happens that can 't be explained, something beyond what anyone thought was going to happen. I was having lunch with a doctor not long ago, a friend, and um, while I was in, while I was in the hospital last year with my daughter, um, i didn 't sleep very much, and so I read a lot of stuff and, and I was just curious about how much faith um, doctors have, and just you know what's the statistics and those types of things and um, and, and I found some interesting statistics. Americans in general, uh, about 70% uh, believe or affiliate Christian and believe in God, those types of things. Uh, that number goes down with the more education you have and with the more money you have, as you can imagine. Okay? So people who make more money uh, tend to believe in God a little less. People that have higher education tend to believe in God a little less as well, except for medical doctors. Ooh, tell me more. (laughs) It was interesting that medical doctors, for people with the same education level, um, usually in, in the sciences, people with the same education level in the sciences, usually believe in God about in the 40th percentile. People that make the same amount of money as doctors um, usually believe in God about to the forty percentile. But doctors stand out among people uh, that, that among their peers in education and income, and they believe in God in the 70, 80 percentile as well. I, I said to my friend, like, isn't this incredible? Isn't this interesting? Isn't this beautiful? What do you think about this? And uh, he laughed at me, he was like, Yeah. And I was like, Why do you believe in God? And he because. And he, he was kind of being frank with me. If I can be honest with you, we just barely know what we're doing. It's a miracle that anybody survives. <laughs> <laughs> and he was joking. He was joking. Trust your doctors. But he was sharing how much how much surprising stuff happens, how much incredible things happen that they, we just don't have a good grasp on. And he's got friends, and he's got colleagues who says, we will understand it more and more. But he's saying, for me, there are just things that I can't understand or explain away. And so, I don't buy this idea that there is no divine healing. I don't buy this idea that God doesn't work to heal, um, because uh, Scripture, I mean, this goes against, like, scriptural evidence. This goes against, um, this doesn't account for Scripture, and this doesn't account for all of our experience as well. So. Um, why else are miracles so rare? Another possible uh, explanation is because we don't have enough faith. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but sometimes we think that we have to have the right code, we have to say the right thing in order to get God to do what we want God to do. We have to have the right amount of faith. I don't, I don't buy this either. I know people who love God with their whole hearts. I know people that live in faith, who give of themselves, and, and I can't imagine them loving God and loving their neighbors anymore. I can't imagine what more growth and grace they need. And they too do not get prayers answered the way that they want. They too suffer and struggle. I don't think that it's based on a person's lack of faith. After all, In the scriptures, I see people with no faith at all get an incredible incredible miracle, get an incredible blessing as well. And this view of God kind of, it treats God like like some sort of like cosmic vending machine, right, where we have to punch in the right numbers or, or the right code. We have to input something correctly in order to get out of God some sort of good thing. Nowhere in the Bible does, does it say that God is a vending machine. <laughs> what it does say is that God is a loving parent, that God relates to us. And when I think about my kids, when they need care, when they need food, when they need comfort, I don't tell them, ah, ah, ah. You haven't said the magic words, right? You haven't said and done the exact right thing in order to get my care. My kids don't have to do anything to get my love and my care. And if I can love my kids like that, how much more can God love us? So I don't think that our lack of faith, we haven't intrigued God enough, we haven't excited God enough to do something. I don't think that that explains for the rarity in miracles but miracles are rare. How do we explain them? This is the way I understand it. God cannot coercively control anyone or anything. It's not in God's nature. God is love. God does not exert God's own will over you or anyone. But because God is love, God is constantly, constantly inspiring you, wooing you, guiding you, into greater paths of love. And when God works in this world, God necessarily works through you. The God of Scripture is always present, always loving, always at work. God is never picking and choosing who he's going to love, but God works through us. God always works through people and creation. God needs us. God needs us. God always works with people and creation. And when creation responds perfectly, when creation responds perfectly to the love of God, miraculous things are possible. Let me just testify and share with you a little bit. Clementine, a few weeks ago, my, my seven-year-old, she's seven now. Man, I thought she was going to be six forever. Okay, she's seven um, one year ago, we were brought, uh, she had emergency brain surgery, and we were told that there was going to be uh, paralysis, vision loss, and speech and language loss, loss um, best case scenario, if she didn't suffer any strokes during the whole procedure. And so here we are a year later, and I was just at a friend's house last night, and they said, oh, when is Clementine's next appointment? And I, I like, stood back a little bit, we don't have a next appointment. We're done. I mean, they want us to check in in a year from now, but we don't have anything on the books. And so today, Clementine has none of those impairments. She has a small vision cut um, that she doesn't even notice. A couple weeks ago, Clementine said to me, Dad, how did this miracle happen? And like, I was so excited. I was so beaming. I was like, come here, let's talk about this miracle. Let's you know, talk about all the things that needed to happen for this miracle to happen. Number one, we lived in Portland. That was a miracle. Number two, your, your teachers were paying attention. And when they saw you suffering and when they saw you getting loopy and when they saw you lay your head down to sleep during lunch, they called me right away. They knew that this was abnormal. Number three, when I picked you up, God spoke to me because I was debating on whether or not going home to rest or going straight into urgent care. And God said, take her to urgent care. Number whatever, four or five, whatever this is. When we get to urgent care, the EMTs get there and they say, Where do you want to go? What hospital you want to go to? And I say, I don't know, St. Vincent. It's the closest one. And another EMT comes in and says, Nope, you're going to a children's hospital, Randall or OHSU, Dornbecker. I said, I don't know, Randall. I have a friend who's a nurse at Emanuel Hospital, so let's go there. Another EMT comes in and says, Where are we going? And they said, Emmanuel. And he says, Nope, we're going to OHSU. I said, Okay. (laughs) Why do you even ask me? Like, let's just do this, right? So God was speaking to all these people and they responded in the right way. We got to OHSU and God worked with the doctors and the nurses and the social workers and the surgeons and they got in there and cared for her immediately. Those that, and they did their jobs perfectly. They did their jobs perfectly. And when we were in rehab, as I was talking with Clementine, I said, and one last person that was involved was you. Because when you woke up from surgery, and when you saw how much work you had to do to get things back, you rose to the occasion, and you said, I want to win therapy. I want to get it done. All of these people responded to God's love perfectly, and in the right moment, for a miracle to happen. It all lined up perfectly. Now, if any of those people, any of these other things were out of whack, we could be looking at a different situation. This is how God works in our world, through us, inspiring you to pay attention, to do the right thing, to do the most loving act in any given moment. And when everyone does it, miraculous things can happen. And so I've got, very, I've got a very selfish reason for you to take your faith seriously. I've got a very selfish reason for you to be open to God at all times because I might need you. My family might need you in a moment of crisis and you need to play your part so that a miracle can happen. This is how God works in our world. Now, unfortunately, more often than not, not all of the players are listening to God perfectly. Not all of the actors involved hear God and respond and do what they're called to do. And so, in these moments, suffering finds its way in. Evil finds its way in. And so, When you receive a miracle, absolutely, praise God. Praise God for the way that God has orchestrated everything coming together. But when you don't receive a miracle, when it doesn't come together, it's not because God decided in your case you deserve some sort of punishment. It's not because God decided in your case you need some suffering, or God doesn't love you, or God wanted this to happen to you. If it doesn't happen, it's because there's a lot of factors involved, and more than one of those factors did not respond to God's love. More than one of those factors did not pay attention and cooperate to bring about that miracle. But it has nothing to do with how God loves or feels about you. God loves you unconditionally and is always at work to make things right. Now, One last thing that you have to bring up is that when things don't go right, God doesn't stop working. God never stops working for miracles. It's never too late. Last week, um, I brought up a, a story from Scripture where a woman who had an issue with bleeding, as the Scripture said, snuck her way up and stole some of Jesus' power by touching His robe, and Jesus stopped the whole Stopped everything to go find this woman, to restore her to society, to restore her to family. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He heals her on a relational level because that's what she needed. That's what she needed. They were on their way to Jairus' house. Jairus was a synagogue leader. His daughter was sick and dying. They found Jesus in the marketplace and to say, Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? While Jesus was on his way to see Jairus, that's when he got touched by the other woman. And he stopped the parade, he stopped the march to Jairus' house to go and heal this woman in her soul, in her heart, in her relationships. While he was doing that, Jairus' daughter died. They didn't get that miracle. She died. People from the house come to Jairus And they say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus perks up. He hears those words. And he says, you know what? It's not over yet. (laughs) It's not over yet. He goes to Jairus' house, and people are weeping. They're crying. They're saying, she's dead. And Jesus says, I don't think she is. I think she's just asleep. The scriptures say that the people start laughing at Jesus, laughing. What an inappropriate response. But I can only imagine with such anger and such grief mixed together with somebody saying something so ridiculous, maybe laughter is what comes out. And Jesus says, take me to her. And he goes to the room where the girl was. He says, talitha kum which means in Aramaic, little girl, get up. And she gets up, he says, give her something to eat, and he heals her. For Jesus, there was never a moment when it was too late. There was never a moment where God throws his hands up and says, there's nothing more I can do. I'm out of here. Even death is not the end. This is what the resurrection of Jesus tells me that death doesn't have the final say. Even when the miracles don't happen and someone dies, that is not the end. God doesn't stop working and say, well, they died. There's nothing more I can do. But we have a greater hope than that, that God continues to work even after death to bring about life and healing and love. This is the hope that we have in Christ. If you have a miracle, praise God for it. If you didn't get a miracle, trust in God. Trust that, it's, that God loves you, that God still cares for you. And if you are mourning the loss of loved ones, know that God is still, even now, working on them, working on us, and that death is not the end for God or for God's purposes. Uh, I'd like to do a few takeaways at the end of the sermon um, to talk about, you know, well, how do we think about this? First, I want us to give thanks for the miracles that are possible today that are not, that would not have been possible previously. Um, we live in a world where babies born at 27 weeks can survive. We live in a world where six-year-olds can survive brain surgery and come out of it with almost no impairments. We live in a world where amazing things can happen, and this has happened because God is speaking to people, working through people, and people are responding in ways and giving their lives to care for others, to make these uh, life-saving measures possible. It's amazing. So give thanks for the world that we live in. Give thanks for the God who is working in our world now to make more miracles possible, more miracles possible. Be thankful. Second is to be present to those Who are suffering. Now, part of my sermon has been trying to give some answers to why things happen and why things don't happen. But I want to take us back to last week, which is primarily, first and foremost, those that are suffering need a fellow sufferer to go through it with them. That's what we long for. Those that are suffering around us need people to just be with them. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to say this is what I think God is doing. This is what I this is why this has happened to you. You don't have to say that. Just be with others. So that they know that they're not alone. So that they know that you are with them. And finally, this is the reason to grow in our faith. All right. I would say increase your faith to be open to God's directions at all times. You will play a part in somebody else's miracle. I said it earlier, I got selfish reasons for you to be a Christian. I got selfish reasons for you to be open to God, because I don't know when I'm going to need you. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen, but I might need you. I might need you to say yes to God in a split-second decision. I need you to be able to do that. And so continually grow in your faith, continually be open to God, asking God in every moment, what's the most loving situation right here, right now? God, how can I be a part of somebody else's miracle today? Our God is not a God who forces his will on us. Our God is not a God who imposes his way. That's not our God. Our God is the God of love that suffers with us, but also a God who is always, always at work in all people at all times to bring about the best end for all of us. I think we're getting closer and closer to the fulfillment of all things being made right because I see more and more people responding to God, making things right in this world continue to respond to God. When we come to this table, that's part of who we are. We're saying, God, I see you as a God of love that's working through me and speaking to me to make things right in this world. I accept that responsibility. Continue to speak to me, guide my actions, and may we see more and more miraculous things happen.